0: Church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Hands,
1: One, thank you, those on the platform, especially you, Noel. Thank you for your faithfulness. Boy, we had such a good time in Europe. I learned things about Noel that I didn't know before. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. God is so good. Another reason to go on impact teams. Hallelujah. John chapter 1, if you join me there this evening. I want to preach a message, a simple message. Those are, in my experience, those are the best ones, the simple ones. And uh, a message that I pray will remind you of some truths that can help you in your everyday life for God. I heard about a farmer that uh, every week he would take some items to sell down to a farmer's market. And among his, uh, his weekly products that he would sell, he had a big tub of cottage cheese made fresh. He also had another tub full of apple butter, two very good uh, products, I might add. And he had two large tubs of these two products, and, uh, and he would take with him the bowls or the containers, and as people purchased, he would just take a scoop out of the large tub and scoop it into people's uh, little cups. And uh, one particular Saturday, he went down to the farmer's market and realized that he had forgotten to bring an extra ladle. And so he had two large vats, one of cottage cheese, the other one of apple butter, but only one ladle with which to scoop the products out. He thought to himself, ah, no big deal, right? I can just use the same ladle to scoop from each one of these tubs. But as he began to scoop out from the cottage cheese, switched over to the apple butter, Switched back to the cottage cheese, you can see what began to happen. It wasn't long before he couldn't remember which one was which. Because as he shared that scoop, that ladle between the two products, he began to intermix one with the other. Now that is a great illustration for what happens when the child of God attempts to live for the kingdom of God while keeping one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. This is not going to be a successful venture. If we attempt, beloved, to mix our lives with light and darkness, with good and evil, it won't be long until you won't be able to tell the difference between us and the rest of the world. Now, when we look at the book of John, the, first, the Gospel of John, the first chapter, it opens the scene with the attention on John the Baptist. And I'm always interested in the life of John the Baptist. Jesus made a comment about this man and said that there has never been a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Jesus exalted this man. Jesus spoke highly of him. And his ministry, which was to prepare the way for the Lord. And I want to make a simple point tonight about the ministry of John, which leads to the ministry of of Jesus and I want you to read with me tonight John chapter 1 beginning with verse 19 it says now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him who are you he confessed and did not deny but confessed I am NOT the Christ and when they asked him what then are you Elijah I am NOT he said are you the prophet and he answered no Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is a quote from the book of Isaiah. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Beth beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's pray for just a moment tonight. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we have this evening. We're asking, Lord, that you pour out your spirit and give us understanding about your word and how to live for you. I'm praying, God, that you would give us the spirit of repentance and cleansing tonight that we might have, Lord, the opportunity to do great things in your kingdom. We thank you for the work that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. One of the primary ministries of John the Baptist, it's right there in his name, is the ministry of baptism which is very interesting. Baptism, of course, uh, is a symbol of purification. Uh, in, in those days when people probably didn't take a bath, but every once or twice a month, there was also probably some physical cleansing going on as people were being baptized. And, uh, and yes, even though there is physical uh, uh, dipping into the water and raising again, we also understand that this is a symbolic activity that as John is preaching, his message is primarily focused on the message of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Everybody say the word repent. Repent. The word repent literally means a change of mind or a change of direction. And so John's ministry was... Repent, change your ways, cleanse your ways. And as a sign of that repentance, he began to baptize in water. It's a spiritual and a physical cleansing. And I want to just remind you tonight that the Bible is preoccupied with this idea of cleanliness. They say that uh, cleanliness is close to godliness, right? Well, in the Bible, there is a strong connection. The word clean or cleanse occurs over 150 times in the Bible. The word unclean appears over 200 times, especially the Levitical law in Deuteronomy and Leviticus are filled with ceremonies, procedures, and ways for the people of God to find cleansing and purification. And I have to ask you tonight, why is that? I want you to begin to understand why are there so many scriptures that are focused on purification, cleansing, and becoming cleaner than we used to be. And, and if you think about it for a moment, it will become very clear to you. It's because the, hu- the fallen human nature of the human race always leads Not to cleanliness, but to filthiness. If you have a two-year-old in your house, you can say amen. The fallen human nature always tends toward filth and not toward cleanliness. If you leave something alone, what will happen to it? It'll get dusty, dirty, rusty, and it'll fall apart. Eventually. In, uh, in physics, we call it the second law of thermodynamics. It is the law of entropy. It means that everything in the universe tends toward chaos. And if you need proof of that, just look at your hair after a good night of sleep. Everything tends toward chaos. You don't have to try to mess things up. Things just get messed up, right? And not only do things get messed up, they get dirty, filthy, and yucky. Just if you tried to live life without a shower for five days, would your life be better or worse after five days? (laughs) If you tried to live without clean water for five days, would your life be better or worse? You see what I'm saying, that just the process of living life Tends toward filth and dirtiness. There is a difference. My rabbi one time spoke about the difference between the top floor and the basement floor of every building. Isn't it interesting that if you go to some of these high-rise buildings, uh, like we have the Westin, then downtown, uh, downtown center, uh, that if you went to the very top floor, you know what you would find? Pristine conditions. You would find everything's been polished, everything's clean, swept, mopped, probably smells good up there. It's The nicest place in the building on the top floor, right? But what if you went all the way down to the bottom floor, the basement, the boiler room? It's probably there. They're not paying as good of attention as they do at the top floor. And why is that? Why is it? Because gravity of life tends to pull the filth down toward the bottom. This is true physically, it's also true spiritually. Are you with me tonight? That just by living life, there is a tendency to be dragged down into the filth of life. Every person, you have a body here tonight, and it's a good thing you do. Because your body has certain mechanisms, has certain organs that specialize in keeping your body clean you have a liver you have a kidney you have various uh other organs that uh, my mom would be much better at explaining to you of keeping the filth the nastiness the yuckiness from infecting the rest of your body every time your blood circulates throughout your body it is going through a kidney it is being filtered, it is being cleansed, it is being purified so that it can continue to be used, right? And if your kidney starts to shut down, you know what? Bad problems. If your liver begins to shut down, bad problems, right? And other organs, of course. But all of these are, uh, are, are designed by God to keep the purity inside your body. Doesn't it also follow tonight that we should have some spiritual filters? Doesn't it also follow that we should have a few mental filters keeping our thoughts pure? Because the natural way of life is that we tend toward filth. You know, um, we used to live in Gilbert, Arizona. And there in in Gilbert, there's a huge uh, microchip plant uh, right there on Stapley, Cooper Boulevard, or whatever it's called. But there's a huge place where they, it's a silicon plant, where they actually make um, computer chips out of silicon. And if you were to enter one of those places, you would be amazed at how they have to keep the air inside of one of those plants so, so purified. They, they have filter after filter. They have a clean room that you can't just walk up in there. You have to cover all your clothing. They have to, uh, you have to put on this rubber suit. They have to wash you down. And only after every, every trace of lint, pollen, dust, anything that you've carried on your shoes, it has to all be purified so that you can enter in and begin to work on these machines, these highly calibrated machines that are making these high-precision parts. It has to be done in a clean room. I want to make the point to you tonight that if you want to get any, any work done for the kingdom of God, we have to be in a clean room also. We have to have a clean heart as well. Listen to these scriptures, James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Psalm 24, verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Psalm 51, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me 2nd Corinthians 7 verse 1 says let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God finally first John 3 verse 3 says everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure and when you think about all of those admonitions and all of those commandments that come from Scripture It's no surprise then that when God is about to send his son to begin ministering to the world, to begin saving sinners, that first he sends John the Baptist. First, he sends in one who is preaching the ministry of cleansing and purification. John the Baptist is the one who gets the first mop. You know what it's like if you've ever been on the cleanup crew. If there's a room that hasn't been cleaned for a long time, that first clean is the worst one, isn't it? That first mop is the nastiest mop. After that, it gets a little easier. When John came to prepare the way for Jesus, it's no surprise that his ministry was calling people to be cleansed and purified. And this ministry captured the attention of first century Jews and indeed the rest of the world. It was after 400 years of prophetic silence that God began to speak once again through John the Baptist, a ministry of cleansing and purity. Listen to what he said, Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying... Repent, for the kingdom of of heaven is at hand. So the idea of baptism, again, it was a tradition that they had developed during the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But in those days, they had only used baptism for Gentiles that were converting to be Jews. Are you with me tonight? The ministry of baptism... When John came on the scene, it was not something for Jewish people. It was something that was reserved only for Gentiles that were being converted to Judaism. And the interesting thing is that Jews don't really evangelize a whole lot. (laughs) They're, They're not trying to win people to Judaism because they kind of have the view that, you know, we're the most persecuted people on the earth. You probably don't want to be like us. And so they were not actively seeking converts, but if someone read the scriptures, someone read the prophets, maybe they lived with a Jewish family and they said, hey, I want to be like you guys. I want to experience the relationship that you have with God. And they were Gentile people. They were not people of the promise, but there was a process for them to become Jewish. Part of that process included water baptism. But that was not something the typical Jew would practice in their lifestyle or in their worship. Only this, this, uh, this practice of water baptism was something reserved just for those dirty Gentiles. They had to take a bath before they could join us in synagogue. And that's kind of how it was viewed. So John, when he came on the scene and began to baptize not just Gentiles, but his ministry aimed mostly at the Jews, right? He was calling the Jewish people to repentance. As a, as a sign of that repentance, he would baptize Jewish people, which was a radical step in that time. For the first time in a long time, he was calling Jews to repentance, not just the Gentiles. And the reason why it was so radical was because he was preaching this message. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the Messiah is coming after me, so you better get yourself right. Do you see the parallel with how we live today? Our message is not that Jesus is soon coming. Our message is that Jesus is soon coming again. The kingdom is at hand. The time is short, and that's why, for these last 2,000 years, Christians have been saying, better get your heart right because the kingdom of God is at hand. Messiah is imminent. I want to look at the difference tonight between apologies and repentance. We live in a time. Where people practice something that I call the unpology. Have you ever seen somebody who gives an unpology? It usually goes like this: Someone who's been uh, involved in some uh, lewd behavior or some some terrible sin that they've committed and, uh, and the unpology kind of goes like this. You know, I'm really sorry that I made you feel that way. I'm very sorry that my actions had those effects. (laughs) The unapology says, I'm sorry that I made you feel a certain way, but it really doesn't change our personal behavior. There's a big difference between an apology and repentance. We are living now, uh, just on Monday was a a holy day for the Jewish people. It was uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is the first of the year for them. And uh, they are, in just a couple of weeks, they're going to be celebrating the most holy day on their calendar, which is called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on this day, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, that for 10 days, this is actually beginning very soon, for 10 days leading up to Yom Kippur, observant Jews are practicing something called Teshuvah. And what that means is they are seeking forgiveness from others. They go around and they say, if there's anything that I've done to offend you, I I need to ask for your forgiveness. They're going around to their friends and their family for 10 days leading up to Yom Kippur. Every day, they're going to their, their priest or their rabbi. They're going to their mothers and fathers, their brothers and sisters, and they're saying, Look, in the last year, I might have done some stupid things. Observant Jews are taking this time to say, would you please forgive me? And with this goal in mind, they're saying that hopefully within 10 days, I have got forgiveness from enough people that on that most holy day, the Yom Kippur day, that they can go to God finally and say, Lord, I've tried to make it right with my brothers with the world around me, with my mother and my father. And so, Lord, now I want to seek atonement and forgiveness from you. What a powerful tradition. It's no wonder tonight why John came to preach repentance. See, this practice of teshuva is more than just apologies. It's more than just, I'm sorry for the way I made you feel. It's a serious, deep process, often joined with, uh, with uh, fasting and prayer, and it's leading to self improvement. It ultimately leads to right relationship with men and right relationship with God. That is repentance. Repentance is not just the unpology. I'm sorry if you were offended by what I said. Do you see the variation? That's not, a, that's not repentance. It means I'm just sorry that you feel bad about what I said. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop saying it. See, when someone does an unpology, it means let's just move on and move forward. But repentance means I need to deal with the root of the issue. True repentance, then. True repentance is when. We take responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. Ooh, that's a painful word, isn't it? In our generation, nobody wants responsibility. It's not only responsibility, but it's an attempt to repair the damage. I want to know how I can make things right. This is a better view of what repentance is all about. It's forgiveness, yes, please forgive me, but... What can I do to make it right? You remember the story of wee little Zacchaeus, a wee little man was he. And the Bible says that there he is in the sycamore tree trying to get a good view of Jesus one day. And Jesus sees him up there in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I need to come to your house today. Zacchaeus welcomes him into his house. And the Bible says as he's there, Jesus comes to this man's house and he is a tax collector. There was nobody hated more than tax collectors. Anybody here uh, want to, you know, w- want to be friends with an IRS agent? No, they're they're still hated people, aren't they? But the tax collector—he was not just a tax collector, but he was like the 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 manager of the tax collectors. The Bible said, and so in those days, uh, not only were they uh, involved in 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 you know various bad schemes, but they would be allied together with the Roman government. It just means that they were ripping people off every single day. And he was like the manager of all the rip-off artists in his city. And there he is, Jesus sitting at his table, and what did Zacchaeus say to him? He says, Lord, if I have wronged anyone, if I have ripped somebody off, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to restore it to them fourfold. Did you catch that? I'm going to rest- not only am I going to make it right, I'm going to give them what I ripped off. But I'm going to give them four times. If I stole 100 bucks from them, I'm going to walk tomorrow and I'm going to drop $400 in their mailbox. What's interesting to me about this story is the response of Jesus. Because Jesus hears this and he, he does not say to the man, oh, listen, Zacchaeus, that's such a kind gesture, but it's really not necessary. You don't have to. Just pay what you ripped off. Everything will be cool. That's not what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? He said, today salvation has come to this house. So that is a great idea, Zacchaeus, that we see that Zacchaeus, we know that his repentance was real, Because he not only wanted forgiveness, he wanted to make it right. He wanted to have a right relationship with the people around him that he had ripped off. And by doing that, he would have a right relationship with Jesus. This is what repentance looks like. See, we can't claim that we are people who practice repentance if we are constantly ripping people off and making people angry and hurting people with our words. We ought to be seeking, yes, of course, we're going to make mistakes. Yes, of course, I'll probably offend you from time to time. But as a child of God and as someone who's interested in doing God's will, we have to seek forgiveness and be willing to, to go the extra mile to repair things. One rabbi said it like this, the goal of teshuva is not to obtain forgiveness from someone else or to wipe away our sense of guilt. The ultimate goal is to become a better person, the kind of person who would never do such a thing in the first place. Repentance should make you that person. When you get up from the altar, our repentance ought to be so real that I never want to be involved with that again. This is the ministry of John the Baptist. The presence of John caused people to want purity and holiness. It's the same thing that uh, Peter spoke about in his epistle, 2 Peter 3, verse 1. I write to you this second epistle which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Listen, I want to stir up a desire for purity in your soul tonight, a desire of not just apologizing to God, God, I'm sorry for what I did again. But God, I don't want to be that person. That's true repentance. Can we be stirred up for righteousness tonight? Now, I want to close with this thought that true repentance leads to purity and purity prepares the way. Y'all still with me tonight? Verse 23 of our scripture says these words. This is John again defining his ministry. And he says, "I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make way, make straight the way of the Lord," as the prophet Isaiah Said. I want to tell you, one of the reasons why Jesus was able to perform great miracles in every place that he went was because first there was someone preaching purity. See, the preaching of repentance and purity, cleansing uh, and holiness opened the door for Jesus to do greater things. See, this is why people who don't take the call to holiness serious, this is why you won't see God moving in their lives. You won't see miracles. Yes, they'll probably get to heaven, we hope. We pray that someone who's not serious about holiness, uh, a, a, a carnal Christian that we could call them, someone who comes to the altar and says, Lord, I just, you know, I, I'm sorry for my sins, but they struggle, years, pornography anger, bitterness, you know, the carnal Christian that never truly seeks holiness. They could be saved and and make it to heaven barely, but I want to tell you, they're not going to do great things for God. And here's why. Every time a person like that steps out in faith, there's nothing there to hold them. There's no confidence, there's no boldness. Have you ever, uh, have you ever tried to witness to somebody when you there's guilt and shame in your heart? It's really difficult to do. Uh, and I think that's maybe why many people don't don't want to go on evangelism because there's so many there's so much baggage that you feel you're carrying from the past. See, repentance will separate you from the baggage and will prepare the way for greater things. Repentance is step one in the kingdom. It's kindergarten. And if you can't pass kindergarten, then how are we supposed to be in first, second, third grade or high school for God? When we find cleansing, when we find healing, when we find God's purity, it is then that we can do greater things for God. When we find cleansing, we will find the confidence that so many people lack for God. Confidence. I didn't say pride. I didn't say arrogance. I said confidence. And many Christians lack spiritual confidence. So how does repentance work? It's very simple. It's confession. You know what it means to confess tonight? It means to say the same thing as what God says. Simply to agree with God. See, God already knows about us, right? There's nothing hidden from his eyes. The problem is that what's coming out of my mouth is different from what's coming out of God's mouth. So many people say, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of other people who do that, so why should I struggle to stop? Is that what God says about it? Confession is when we agree with God about our own lives. Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need your grace. And God's up there going, yeah, that's what I said. God, I've been ripping people off. I shouldn't be doing that. God said, yeah, that's the same thing I say. When we come to the Lord with humility and say, God, I'm bound like a dog on a chain to this sin. And I'm sick of it. And God says, yeah, I've been sick of it ever since you started. I agree. Right? And when we say the same thing as what God says, that is called confession. Sometimes confession to God is enough, but many times it's not. 1 John 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Romans, it says that we ought to be confessing to one another. Did you hear that? Confessing to one another. And when we confess tonight, then the Bible says God is able to cleanse us. When God can cleanse us, great things our following. When God cleanses us, the mountain of guilt is removed, condemnation is taken away, we will be freed from the voice of our accuser, our sin will be separated far as the east is from the west. He removes the penalty and pollution of our sin, and He will restore our joy and fellowship with Him. Let me close with this last illustration tonight. How many remember the story of the ark? God told Noah to build an ark, which would be his deliverance from the worldwide flood that took place shortly after. The Bible says that God killed the entire population of the world at that time except for Noah and eight people on the ark. And, of course, the animals. Always interesting. God, re- God remembered to save the animal kingdom also. But uh, now the the waters it rained forty days, forty nights, and the water remained for a time. And as the water began to recede, there was a certain test that Noah performed to see whether it was time to come out of the ark or not. You remember the story? Now he took a, a couple of birds. The first bird that he released was a was a raven right? Or no, it was, was a dove. And the Bible says that he released the dove, and the dove flapped around for a while, and the dove came back, right? And the thought is that if the dove does not find a place to rest, then it's still not time to get out of the ark yet. So what is the dove looking for? The dove is, it can only find a place to rest on a tree branch, on a piece of ground somewhere. See, but look, the water that would be all around them would be soiled and polluted with all kinds of dead things. We're talking about dinosaurs. We're talking about elephants. We're talking about all manner of dead, bloated creatures floating around on the surface of the water. But let me tell you something. The dove will not rest on filth. Do you know what the dove is a picture of tonight? The dove is the picture of the Holy Spirit. We saw it when Jesus was baptized. The Bible says, God spoke from heaven, behold my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is there getting baptized and the Spirit comes down like a dove to rest upon Jesus. Right? The dove rests on Jesus. But the dove doesn't rest on filth. The dove doesn't rest on death. And so the the dove flaps around for a while, searching for a place to rest, but couldn't find it, and so returned to the hand of Noah, didn't he? Then a few weeks later, he does the same test, released the dove, and this time the dove doesn't come back, so now Noah knows that it's time to get out because the dove has found some place clean to rest. It's not going to rest on some, uh, some bloated, dead dinosaur floating around. But maybe a tree popped out, the water received enough that the dove can rest. Now, tonight, let me remind you that the Holy Spirit of God is looking for a place to rest. The Holy Spirit flutters around the church looking for a soul, looking for a Christian that he can rest on. Looking for someone that he can empower. Looking for someone that he can equip. For the work of God. Some churches are filled with dead bloated dinosaurs. That have been floating around for an eternity. The Holy Spirit's not touching that place. The Holy Spirit's not going to land there. But if the Holy Spirit can find some person. Some church. Some family. That has repented from sin. And has been cleansed. Purified. Made holy by the blood of Jesus. Oh, well, then the Holy Spirit can come and rest on your life. And here's the hope tonight. When you read about the the book of Acts, the church of Pentecost, the Bible said that the Holy Spirit came and rested on every single one of them. Did you ever read that, Acts chapter 2? That they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, that they all spoke in tongues. There was not one of them who was dead and bloated and floating around like a corpse that Jesus had purified them by his ministry and now they were ready to be empowered for the work of God. What about us tonight? The ministry of John the Baptist, the ministry of repentance, confession and purification has to be first. So many Christian people are are, are wondering, "Oh, pastor, what's what's my uh what's my talent?" You know, what's my What's the fruit that God put in my life? What's the fruit of the Spirit that God can use me for? At the same time, you know, smoking a doobie and drinking Jack Daniels and acting stupid and talking stupid. Look, don't even talk about ministry if you can't be purified. The hope of the gospel is that we can be made pure so that then God can use us. So that's my call this evening. Repent. Confess sins so that God can use our lives. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes as we bring the service to an end. And as God speaks to our hearts, I want to take just a moment to share with you the incredible message of hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, The message that rings throughout the ages. First, John the Baptist came to preach repentance and cleansing. But that message was empty. It rang hollow without the following message of deliverance and cleansing, sanctification by the blood of Jesus In the Scripture, it tells us that there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. And so, even though John's ministry was so powerful, his blood was not shed for you. But I'm here to remind you that the blood of Jesus was poured out. The perfect, pure, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. That His blood was poured out for the remission of sins. The system of the temple sacrifices, the Jews of the Old Testament, that they slaughtered the animals and shed their blood again and again every year. The high priest would shed the blood on that day of atonement. But the blood of goats and bulls was only a temporary, was only a quick fix. Oh, but the blood of Jesus rings down through the generations, even to 2019. The blood of Jesus is here to cleanse us, to purify us, to wash us clean so that we can serve the living God. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not right with God, but you want to be. You understand that your sins are destroying you and and that your iniquity, your addiction to the world and to carnality, it is slowing you down for God making you carnal. And you're held back in your faith because some baggage of the world that you're holding on to tonight. I want to call you to confession. Call you to repentance. And I'm wondering tonight if there's someone here that you need that. You're not right with God, but you want to be. You're backslidden in your heart but you can experience new life in Christ that's you let me see your hand quickly tonight someone's here thank you for that hand someone someone else quickly believing god thank you for that hand someone else quickly as the lord speaks to you tonight god's touching you god's speaking to you anyone else quickly you lift up your hand with these honest hearts tonight oh thank god for his mercy listen god is merciful and he is here to set us free if we will confess and repent from our sins you lifted up your hand Would you stand to your feet quickly tonight? We're going to pray with you right here at this altar. Come. Come. God's going to help you. God's going to move tonight. Thank you for your honesty. God's going to help you. God's going to move tonight. God's going to break every curse. In Jesus' name, yes. Kneel down. We're going to pray with you tonight. Let's believe God. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, church. Let's come together tonight at this altar. We're going to believe God this evening. We're going to believe God to...
0: and love people.